I'm Belen Sisa, and this is Pretty Serious. Pretty Serious is a podcast where we discuss unusual suspects and topics. From politics and TV and film, to pop culture, and my thoughts on important issues impacting our world. Because we can do both. Welcome back to another episode of Pretty Serious with me, Belen Sisa. Ah, I love the smell of a pretty Friday baby. <laughs> Today, we're going to start on more of a lighthearted, pretty note discussing Britney Spears and her upcoming memoir, which already has people shook and on the edge of their seats. Then our last segment will end on a more serious note as I discuss what's been happening in Gaza over the last 10 days and how we can speak out against oppression and violence. Before you continue listening, I want to give you a quick warning that in this episode, there will be mentions of violence, war crimes, drug use, and abortion. Take care and thank you for listening. Britney Spears recently wrote a memoir called The Woman in Me that is planned to drop next week on October 24th. The title is inspired by her song, I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman. That was my jam. I was like eight years old (laughs) saying I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Uh, Anyway, who remembers uh, her iconic video filmed at Antelope Canyon in Page, Arizona? eight-year-old me did not get the meaning of that song but I do know now and it makes so much more sense that she would title her book this Uh, if you don't remember the lyrics it's definitely worth a google search in the book Britney covers everything from her Mickey Mouse Club days to drinking with her mom as an eighth grader to falling in love as a teen pop star, to getting married and divorced, and of course, living life under a conservatorship. There have been some bombshells already coming out from those who received the pre-release copies, and it's basically taken over the entertainment news feeds this week. The bombshells have really intrigued and shocked me, and probably the rest of us too. I pre-ordered the book a couple of months ago and I'm even more excited now to binge read it once it hits my Kindle. So this is my petition to authors and their PR people. Send me your early book copies. Wink, wink. (laughs) Anyway, I grew up listening to Britney for my eighth birthday. One of my friends asked me what I wanted for my birthday and it was the new Britney CD. I'm happy to report the day of my birthday party, I almost died when I unwrapped the CD. Um, I was obsessed. My first concert was Britney. I asked my parents to get me tickets for my 11th birthday. I was just in awe. I looked up to her and her confidence and how goofy and talented she was in those days. And let's remember... This woman took over the world at the age of 17. How wild is that? Now that 
I'm older and I'm a more much more wiser and can, you know, understand, you know, possibly what she was going through at that moment. The first thing that comes to her mind is she was so young and she was scrutinized so heavily. I'm 29 now and I probably couldn't have handled the kind of scrutiny and vitriol that was thrown her way. Imagine that at like already the age of 17, 18, when your brain hasn't even like fully developed yet, how damaging that can be one to your self-esteem, but also to your to your mental health. Brittany told people via email, quote, over the past 15 years, or even at the start of my career, I sat back while people spoke about me and told my story for me. It is finally time for me to raise my voice and speak out, and my fans deserve to hear it directly from me. No more conspiracy, no more lies, just me owning my past, present, and future. End quote. Wow. Wow. So the biggest bombshells in the book so far from all the reading that I did this week is number one, Brittany writes about her relationship with Justin Timberlake. So from their first kiss to their abortion to their breakup. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Brittany is quoted saying it was a surprise but for me it wasn't a tragedy i love justin so much i always expected us to have a family together one day this would just be much earlier than i'd anticipated she wrote to to people ultimately though Brittany says she got the abortion because justin quote didn't want to be a father which is so awful (laughs) but also makes so much sense considering that they were like what 19 20 when this happened it's so interesting to me um and inspiring to see uh, people who are celebrities who are famous talk about their abortion stories especially with everything that happened when roe v wade uh was taken out by the Supreme Court last year uh, with states trying to pass basically all an all abortion um, an all abortion ban in states I think it's really powerful that she would share her story I think that we all know that even when abortion is outlawed that that doesn't mean abortions will end it only means that people have unsafe abortions and you know rich women will always have access to to safe abortions uh and i think it's really interesting to you know humanize this by seeing like even the woman who was like teen sensation internationally known pop star had this happen to her and she had the choice. According to TMZ, Brittany also writes that despite the narrative around their breakup that she cheated on Justin, 
fueled in part by Justin himself. He actually cheated on her with another famous woman who she doesn't name. Brittany in the book admits to making out with her choreographer, Wade Robson, which was a rumor at the time in the tabloids that, um, you know, Justin helped fuel, but that basically she was a cheater and a slut and that um, she had cheated on him with her choreographer. Um, So they apparently she did make out with the choreographer while they were together, but she claims that Justin agreed to move past it because, quote, she only had eyes for him. Interesting. Very, very interesting. It's very shocking when the truth comes out, right? Because you've been told this narrative for so long um, of things that are in the tabloids and um, you think you know the story and then finally the truth comes out and it's like there's a lot more to it than you actually thought. The second bombshell is Brittany says that her conservatorship made her feel like a child robot, which is incredibly sad. Um, I feel for her, especially knowing how long she was in that situation. Um, It breaks my heart. So she's quoted by people again that in the book she writes, I had been so infantilized that I was losing pieces of what made me feel like myself. The conservatorship stripped me of my womanhood, made me into a child. I became more of an entity than a person on stage. I had always felt music in my bones and my blood. They stole that from me. Ugh. Poor Brittany. She spoke a little bit about this um, at the hearing where she petitioned to end her conservatorship last year, um, where, you know, we couldn't see her, but they had the audio and that's what was released. And she talked about how um, she was just so highly controlled. Uh, Her money was controlled. She basically had no choices. She was like a child. (laughs) who had to perform at the snap of her father's and and her family's and the people that worked for them at the snap of their fingers um, and really had no choice, which, you know, is not something that anyone should have to go through, especially if they're well enough to work, if they've shown that clearly, you know, they are capable of making choices and taking care of themselves. Bombshell number three. Brittany explains why she shaved her head in 2007. I'm sure everyone remembers this moment. Um, It was just unbelievable to watch. She basically, in 2007, went to a salon in Los Angeles and didn't even let the hairdresser cut her hair. She just grabbed the... um, What's the thing that... um, the shaver. I don't know what it's called. Um, (laughs) um, and she basically buzzed all her hair off. Um, so in the memoir, she writes that she buzzed her head as a way of pushing back and taking what little control over her life that she could. She says, I'd been eyeballed so much growing up. 
I'd been looked up and down, had people telling me what they thought of my body since I was a teenager, she explains. Shaving my head and acting out were my ways of pushing back. So this busts the myth that the narrative at that time in 2007 when the pictures and videos came out of her doing this in this Los Angeles salon was that she was having a complete mental breakdown and basically did this shaving of her head without reasoning and this proves to us that there was a lot more um it was a lot more intentional than it looked to just the public eye um and it kind of makes sense people shaving their heads has a long history of using it as a powerful as a powerful kind of taking back of of their con- of control um I know that when we were fighting for the Dream Act a couple of years back, there was a group of dreamers who, in front of the White House, shaved their heads. Um, And it was a really powerful, powerful statement. So this kind of flips that famous moment on its head of she's much smarter than all of us think. And she knew what she was doing and she had a reason for it. The other and last bombshell that was dropped this week is Brittany says she started drinking in eighth grade and that Adderall was her drug of choice in the early 2000s. When I read that she had been drinking since eighth grade, it just, it explains so much as to what her living situation was like and maybe the root of some of the substance abuse that aided in her spiral in the early 2000s. Um, She said, I love that I was able to drink with my mom every now and then. She recalls, the way we drank was nothing like how my father did it. When he drank, he grew more depressed and shut down. We became happier, more alive and adventurous. it just makes me so sad it makes me so sad um and there's the connection to the addiction right it's instead of facing problems and doing something to change and to get better and grow um she was taught from a young age that well, drinking makes you happier and more alive and adventurous. It makes everything better. So that must be the answer. So it really is not that surprising that she would become very into Adderall as her drug of choice when she was partying in the early 2000s because Adderall has that way of making you feel very focused, very ready for anything. Right. So here are some of my thoughts, you know, after reading some of these bombshells and learning a little bit more of the truth of all of these events that I grew up watching as a spectator. Right. So I've always felt a lot of deep sympathy for Brittany, even during her roughest years. And I'm so glad that the world's finally catching up on having some compassion for what she's been through. 
even though they needed to know all this information to garner it, it makes me happy that finally things are, you know, turning around in her favor. Sharing her story seems to be a way that she's freeing herself and telling her story on her own terms, which I can relate to on a much smaller scale, obviously. Uh, When people, you know, have always had their opinions about you, when your life has always been so highly controlled and managed, she can finally be herself now. And I think she's learning along the way, the same way we did when maybe we were younger. She just never had the chance and she's doing it now. Many of you are probably wondering what the hell does Britney Spears have to do with politics and social issues, but actually her story has a lot to do with those things. It touches on body image issues, the infantilization of women, slut shaming, sexism, having her life controlled through a conservatorship for 13 years and having zero autonomy, being sexualized as a child, and that's just what's coming to mind in this moment. I'm sure that there is much more. And we can never forget the activism of everyday people is what helped bring awareness around the injustice of her conservatorship. Yes, it was her bravery, but it was also them continuing to push it into the public. They gave her strength and they gave her public to support to say enough. And I think that that's really beautiful. A lot of the bombshells that have been released this week, I honestly had no clue about. So I'm now even more excited to dig into the book. Overall, I'm rooting for Britney. I'm team Britney. I've always been team Britney. I hope that she finds the happiness and freedom that were long taken away from her and that she has a chance to experience more joy in life. She deserves it. Mm. I love you, Brittany. <laughs> uh, like Chris Crocker. Leave Brittany alone. <laughs> anyway, let me know what you think about, about it um, in the episode Q&A section on Spotify. Or um, feel free to send me a DM on the Pretty Serious IG page as well. Honestly, I've had so much anxiety in the lead up to recording this part of the podcast. The reality is that the internet is such a dark place sometimes, and I've had my fair share of being targeted online by people who oppose my stance (laughs) on a lot of things. And speaking out this week hasn't been any different the anti-semitism and the anti-islamic rhetoric i've seen on the internet has been absolutely disgusting and abhorrent i've been seeing a lot of ignorant remarks in not knowing the full history or context of the issue that we're talking about For the past almost two weeks, uh, I've been at such a loss of words. 
I've felt so helpless and sad at what is happening in Palestine right now. But I know I'm not alone in those feelings. First, I want to preface my explanation of this week's events by saying that this issue is not something that was provoked a couple of weeks ago. This issue has a long history that I believe is important to know and learn about, and I encourage you to do so. The Israeli government has been oppressing, killing, and displacing Palestinian people for decades. That is a fact. That is reality. You cannot change those facts. This week, Israel declared war on the Gaza Strip after an unprecedented attack by the armed Palestinian group Hamas on October 7th. Since then, Israel has dropped over 6,000 bombs on Gaza and is planning a ground invasion. This counter, these counterattacks have claimed at least 3,500 lives in Gaza. The death toll includes more than 1,500 children, 1,000 women, and 120 older people. And Israel has already claimed that this is only the beginning and the bloodshed is only escalating. This week alone, hundreds died in an explosion on a hospital in Gaza that was supposed to be a quote-unquote safe place for those forced to evacuate from their homes uh, when they received a notice from Israel to evacuate, which is physically impossible to evacuate a million people in one day. So they were already set up for failure. The new siege is preventing all water, electricity, medicine, fuel, and food from getting into Gaza. This is very clearly beyond self-defense. This has now become a, a genocide and it is horrific. An unexpected hero this week was Colombian President Gustavo Petras. Uh, he condemned assault, the assaults against Palestinians and, in my opinion, showed true leadership that I wish we had here in the United States. But unfortunately, as you're going to hear later in this episode, uh, Biden is on the complete other spectrum of that. Um, so for years, Colombia has used Israeli-built warplanes and machine guns in its fight against drug cartels. Um, so it is even more brave that uh, President Gustavo Petras um, responded to Israel's threat that they would, you know, um, remove uh, and take away those uh, privileges. Petro responded, if foreign relations with Israel must be suspended, let's suspend them. We do not support genocides. Snaps. Say it louder for the people in the back. This is saying the quiet part out loud. 
And I mean, the genocide in Gaza is being carried out with fighter jets and bombs made by the U.S., funded by the U.S., and provided by the U.S., and with the full backing of the U.S. government. Um, this week, with this visit alone, it's he's being very clear. And it's so unfortunate that our president here in the United States would very proudly support a genocide and help fund and encourage the Israeli military to continue their siege rather than ask for peace, rather than a ceasefire. Did you know that our country gives $3.8 billion of our taxpayer money to aid Israel already? And Biden's asking for more. So this issue, this conflict, whatever you want to call it, it's not just about Palestine. This is about you. This is about me. This is about us. It's about what our money is being used for. It's about how our government is telling us they don't have funds to forget student debt, but they have the funds to aid a genocide. What the fuck? We should all be outraged right now at Biden. We deserve so much better. Our country deserves so much better than to have a president who'd rather give $3.8 billion of our taxpayer money to help Israel conduct a genocide than to put the money he invested here in our country where we have our own issues. So I want to give you all some of my thoughts on everything that's happening and what I did this week. Uh, to try to help in any way that I can. And I want to start with saying a big thank you to my Jewish friends, leaders, and voices who are speaking out against Israel's actions. I can't not imagine the pain you must feel, but you are saving lives every time you stand up against being used as a pawn to excuse violence. And... I look up to you so much for saying, not in our name. You will not excuse violence in our name. You're an inspiration to the people of Palestine and Gaza and around the world. I am with you and I will do everything I can to use my voice in the fight against genocide, the genocide of your people and the illegal military occupation you're forced to live under. The truth is that this issue has been near and dear to my heart for a while. In 2014, I was exposed for the first time to what's happening in Palestine and the horrifying violence and mistreatment their people receive. That summer, I was living in Gainesville, Florida for the summer and I attended my first rally, speaking out against some of Israel's most deadly bombing campaigns at that time in Gaza and I've never stopped speaking out since. Plain and simple, my thoughts are that we must call for a ceasefire now. We must end the violence 
this is not a fair fight. Israel has expired their quote-unquote excuse that this is self-defense. At this point, this is not self-defense, this is genocide. And the entire world needs to speak up. I believe that Palestine must be free. And I believe that the occupation of Palestine must end. Period. And look, I don't know absolutely everything there is to know about the history of Palestine and Israel. I'm probably more informed than the average person, but I don't need to know everything to speak out, and neither do you. I know what's right and what's humane. I know that when a group of people are being oppressed and held under apartheid, it's wrong. I know bombing a hospital is wrong. I know that cutting people off from water, electricity, medicine, food, and fuel is wrong. So don't let people lecture you and shame you for standing up on the right side of humanity. I know many people are scared to speak out. Even I'm terrified, to be honest, each time I do, because of the online vitriol and attacks that someone who speaks up faces. But at this point, silence is, is violence. We cannot stay quiet as an entire people are being killed by a government who thinks their lives don't matter. I am so grateful to those who are speaking out because I know how hard it can be sometimes. But your bravery is, is saving lives. I mean it. This week, I've spent my time amplifying information, amplifying fundraisers, and content humanizing the people of Palestine. I also sat down to write and call my senators and congressional representatives, asking them to co-sponsor the Ceasefire Now resolution that was introduced in Congress this week by Representative Cori Bush and has only gotten more popular with more sign-ons this this week by other legislators. So I'm so happy to see that. I hope that um, other lawmakers, especially the ones in my state that I called, um, will sign on. One thing that I've noticed in the spaces that I've been in, in the content that I have been consuming, I think the message of this week is, especially if you're on the side of, you know, fighting to free Palestine, sometimes it can feel like you're the only one, but we're not alone. Just the, a day ago, 300 people with Jewish, Jewish Voice for Peace were arrested in DC saying, we need to cease fire now. The genocide must end. Hundreds of thousands are protesting calling for ceasefire around the world. And let me tell you something, we can't all be wrong. We are on the right side of history on this. Here are some things that you can do to help Palestine right now. Number one, contact your US senators and congressional representatives. Call them and write them. Uh, I will put the links to call and the information to or the link to write them and the number to call them in the show notes. Uh, I did this this week. I even filmed it and uh, put it up on my Instagram to kind of give an example um, of how to call your representatives because I know it can be scary sometimes. 
Number two, go to a protest near you. Um, Showing out in numbers is very powerful. It can move the narrative. Uh, It can change how others see this issue. And it's a big, powerful message to the legislators uh, because that means that they're not on the side of the people. If what you're saying is opposite to what hundreds and thousands of people across the world are saying, then hmm, I don't know. Number three, donate to organizations helping Palestine. Um, Again, I will put some of the ones that I either donated to or know about that are legit in the show notes. Number four, follow and support organizations fighting for justice and peace in Palestine. Number five is boycotting. So there are some organizations that are participating in the boycott of brands that um, have aligned themselves uh, with Israel and are not speaking out against the violence that they are um, enacting on on the people of Palestine. Um, Number six is... Uh, participate in a fast. Uh, a great example is uh, Pope Francis uh, put out a statement asking people on October 27th to um, take part in a day of fasting uh, in solidarity with the people of Palestine and calling for peace and a ceasefire. And lastly, um, I think the most important thing that one can do um is learn and spread awareness. Like I said, the, these past almost two weeks, one, the number one thing that I've noticed is the lack of context, the lack of having access to independent uh, news sources. Uh, it's been very evident in, in some people's responses of what they were seeing and um, not fully understanding <laughs> the situation. So if we can learn more ourselves and spread that awareness, it can truly help someone who who didn't know this information. Like I said, mentioned earlier, I am going to gather some of the resources I've come across and we'll link them in the episode notes for you. As always, thank you for listening to today's episode of Pretty Serious. Listeners like you are what drives my podcast, so I appreciate your feedback more than you know. I might be dropping a little bonus episode in the next few days, so make sure to subscribe to Pretty Serious wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the pod, please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. And you can keep up with me and the pod on Instagram, Apple and CISA, and at Pretty Serious Pod. Every little thing you do to support our podcast makes a huge difference, especially in these early days. Love you and see you next week.